The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The brain is our personal tool to keep us at our best and realize self-esteem. The mind, body, and immune system work together to help us make the right choices and to reach our purpose and potential. Welcome to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Lindsay and her guests are the go-to experts when it comes to relationships, sexuality, parenting, and wellness. We're here to enlighten and inform you. Now, here is your host, Lindsay Levinson. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson. I am your host here of Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so very much for joining us today for this show and for choosing the show. It's really important that you choose this show and that you want to listen and maybe you want to learn and and maybe you want to change your life or add to someone else's life. There's a lot of reasons to listen and get wisdom, but I really appreciate that you're here. Our community has really grown by leaps and bounds really fast. And so it's getting good. You listeners, you you make this possible. And so, again, I offer thanks to you with Facebook and Twitter and radio listeners and a whole community. We're 70,000 plus, something like that right now. So that's part of the Illuminating Now community. And so good for you guys for building that and having a place to belong. Our Facebook address, I would love it if you would like our page, and I would love it if you would just go there, because there's lots of stuff going on, lots of announcements. That address is just Illuminating Now. It is all one word, Illuminating Now. Our Twitter is at sign Illuminating Now, all one word. I have a website. I would love you to check it out. It's qualityforlifecoaching.com. That's four words, no numbers, no spaces qualityforlifecoaching.com. And my website features interviews. I am chosen as a relationship coach on call. And some of my interviews that get played on New York radio, WOR 710 is the number one AM station. And it also is on iHeartRadio. So that's run through Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, CYA, CYL.com, Joan Herman. So, you know, lots of things to listen to. iTunes, music videos, press releases. So please check out my site, qualityforlifecoaching.com. And I want to tell you all that are listening, stay tuned for this show. I'm about to introduce our guest, but this show is going to offer information on gangs. And our special guest is going to bring a wealth of information. And it is a two-part series. There's a lot to cover, and it's really important information. It's information we all need to be much more aware of and pay attention to. Our guest today is someone who truly makes a difference in society and community, and he does a job that most, I don't think, could do very effectively, and most don't choose to do it because it's a hard, challenging career to be in. 
But this guest, Bob Flores, he's been able to do that. Let me tell you a little bit about Bob Flores, our guest, and then we'll bring him on. Bob Flores is a youth advocate, program developer, and counselor. He has his MA. He provides direction and leadership for the CE and YD program of Sunny Hill Services. Bob has 20 years of experience working with gang youth and has serviced as a consultant regarding gang-related issues to a number of local agencies. This includes law enforcement, school districts. He's consulted on street gangs with the California State Department of Justice and law enforcement intelligence units. He's certified to train police officers in the psychological and sociological aspects of gang culture, and he's also peace officers standard in training certified. So that is just so in-depth. He trains inmates in San Quentin on methods of working with delinquent and gang-affiliated adolescents. And on top of all that, Bob also teaches psychology at the Santa Rosa Junior College. So talk about making a difference. (laughs) Are we lucky or what to have Bob Flores contributing in these ways in our world? And how lucky are we to have him on our show for a two-part series for this week and next week? So I do feel really lucky for that. So I want to introduce him, and I want to just start by saying, Bob, you're a busy guy. You're doing a lot of stuff, and I want to say thank you so much for choosing to take the time to be on this show today. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Well, we're really lucky to have you here. And this whole subject of gangs and this whole culture and the dangers involved and some of the potential that is lost because of gang relations it's, it's really something we need to learn about, and the fact that you are so involved at such an in-depth level is so valuable for us to get information. So, so let's start with basics. Let's just go to really basic. What, define a gang for me. What's the definition of a gang? Well, a, a gang is identified by law enforcement, and the state of California is a number of things, and I'll go over them real quick, but the last one is the key one. So the first point is a group of three or more people male, female, adult, or juvenile. Uh, The second one is in association with each other on a full or part-time basis. And the third one, with a common identifier or symbol. Now, that can be be applied to anything. Uh, The fourth one here is the one that really qualifies as a gang, and that's who collectively engage in a pattern of criminal activity. So the criminal activity is the key there. That that is the key. Okay, so I just learned something new right there because... I think in terms of belonging, I mean, I think gangs stand for something and they want to belong and they want to protect something about, you know, whatever they stand for. But I I did not know that that's part of the definition, that it includes something to do with criminal activity. So that's pretty powerful. Um, Talk to me about why are gangs so prevalent? Why are they such, you know, a draw? Well, they, they serve so many things for so many of our youth, youth with very little resources available to them, uh, youth that don't feel a lot of self-esteem, they feel marginalized, and youth that feel that 
they've got nothing left to offer um, in the realm of family, community, so they move towards gangs. One of the things I like to look at is the things that we all need, and you had mentioned being a part of a group and the importance of that. Things such as acceptance, love, power, identity, uh, respect, trust, all those sorts of things are things we need. And those are usually provided by our families. And if we can't find them within our families, we find them within the community through a scoutmaster, through a teacher, or through um, a spiritual following. Then again, if they can't be met in that realm, the gangs offer the same exact stuff for the youth. So they need it, and the gangs provide it. That's so interesting. It's really interesting. And, you know, it makes me think of a cult, you know, and and it has a lot of similar aspects and a lot of similar dynamics of why people are drawn into cults or, you know, into, you know, believing in lifestyles that can be harmful or can be strange or can alienate their families. And, you know, but this again, as you said, one key element, and not to say that a cult doesn't, but the criminal activity. Do you think the criminal activity is, is that alluring? I mean, is that, you know, would that be a reason somebody might choose a gang over a cult? Or is it just something that the criminal activity is introduced as you finally agree to belong and you finally feel like you have an identity and this is your new family, then part of the, you know, kind of initiation is criminal activity will be introduced. Yep. Well, there's, there's two things there. The first thing is that, yes, there is one aspect that there's an alluring factor to um, criminal activity, to getting away with something, to grabbing without having to do the work necessary to grab it, to obtain something. The second thing is I, I like that comparison between a cult because a true definition of a cult is the loss of individual identity amongst a group. And that's what happens with our young kids in gang. They become a gang member. They lose that identity that they develop within the family unit or that identity as a student at school. Right. Yeah, I mean, we all want to belong. I mean, that is just so deep to the core of our being. We want to belong. We want to be witnessed. We want to be safe. We want to be important and special. And so all those things are sort of innately built into the wiring of our beings, you know, just from childhood. And so any of these things can call us, you know, to these groups that have definitions and that, you know, allow us to be part of it. And all of a sudden we feel like, okay, there is some structure and how I can belong. Do you think that people from good families, people from, you know, strong families, could still, or do you find that there's a percentage that still draw toward a gang because the people in the gang are popular or because the people in the gang will keep them safe at school or whatever that is? Like, so they came from a good family and they could have had a good identity, but at school or in the neighborhood, it's important to have an identity and belong to the group of kids, which your parents can't really provide, whatever that feeling might be. Do you, do you find that? Or if you yeah, come from a good family, it's not going to happen? Yes, we find uh, from a number of different angles things such as uh, notoriety. Um, even though there's a firm, healthy family structure at home, there's a need for that notoriety within your environment, your culture, um, or community, excuse me, uh, a need for a sense of power. Um, 
the idea of fear and protection. So they may, a young person may feel safe within their home and feel honored and be, feel seen, but out in the community they may not. So they look for these protective factors. The other thing is the idea that it's a fad. Um, it, it, and I don't mean any disrespect towards anybody with that, but the idea that gangs have replaced in a lot of communities the idea of what it is to be a jock, the all-star football player, these all-American images uh, have now become on the school campuses. The gang members are the all-stars of these campuses. And children or young people who are brought up in affluent neighborhoods, they don't want to fall victim to these guys committing crimes. They want to establish themselves with all these components as well, notoriety, the power, and whatnot. So it definitely occurs. Yeah, and I would also think that another reason it might occur is loyalty. Like, you may even feel, you may come from a home that you already have an identity, you feel somewhat empowered, you know, you feel pretty good about yourself. But then you go to school or, again, go in the neighborhood, wherever that is, and people present you with an option and define it as you're either loyal or you're not. And, and so that's a predicament that no matter how good you feel, if you're not loyal, that's going to instill some fear or some shame, right? Something happens if you don't become loyal, if that's how it's presented to you. So some people might join just because they need to pay loyalty to someone that they want to make sure they stay close with. Is that a dynamic as well? Uh, definitely. There, there is that loyalty issue, and the loyalty it expands upon uh, necessity. So it could be the loyalty to your one school, then it becomes their neighborhood, their town and county, and so on. Um, and that touches upon a gang recruitment technique with that quid pro quo. There's a component as youth become members of a gang, there's a lot given to them, such as parties, um, Money, loaning money, don't work with the idea of not having to worry about it until later. And then once somebody feels this alignment with the gangs and they feel indebted to them in some way, that's when they're called to action to perform this criminal activity that we started with. That's so interesting. So, okay, I'm going to go roll back tape a little bit to basics and say, so how did gangs start? Do you, I'm guessing with being in your field and the research and you know, work that you do, how did gangs start? Well, most, when you look at any form of gang, whether it be the epitome, which is the organized crime that we look at with the mobsters in the 20s, <laughs> um, the mafia, what you, what you see is a need for people who are oppressed to feel power. Once they establish themselves with a point of power, then they start to abuse that power because it's not organized and structured in a way that's beneficial to the community, it's beneficial to the individuals. So gangs go back uh, as far back as biblical times, uh, and we see gangs, primarily they were adults up until about the 1800s, uh, but now we're seeing more and more of the juveniles participate in these gangs. And that's exactly what happens, is they feel marginalized, they feel powerless, they feel um, like the underdogs within the communities they are in. So they combine, they homogenize and come together to develop, to develop their own power. And so that's where gangs come from. If you look at 
some of the prison gangs we know about with Mexican Mafia or Nuestra Familia, um, the Aryan Brotherhood, Black Gorilla Family, and their origin stories are very similar to that. Right, right. So it's part of history. They're really, really interesting. So we're naming reasons why people might be called to gangs. I would ask, you know, is there a purpose to a gang or have we named that? Why, you know, is what we're naming the purpose or is there a purpose to? Uh, I, I think it, there is a purpose. When we look at indigenous societies and we look at the warrior class um, of those societies, whether it be Native Americans, uh tribes within Mexico, tribes, Celtic tribes, um, when we look at those and we look at the warrior class, we see a need for a group of people to feel powerful, and the warrior class enforces that power or the development of that power. And so I think there's something innate within us that moves towards that. And society has changed in such a way that there's no longer a need for it. Tribal wars are no longer existent. But the youth developmentally where they are, they are prime targets to feed into that warrior class. And that's how a lot of them perceive themselves, as warriors for a cause, uh, for a neighborhood, or for something like that. So it it serves them developmentally in a lot of ways, and then it serves, um, they believe, that they serve their community as that warrior class. Yeah, because like a cult... Somehow, part of joining this and part of belonging to the structure of any kind of gang, it it truly becomes a belief system. I mean, you're joining a belief system of some sort, and and your power comes from that you're joining with others, which makes you feel strong. And but it is a belief system, right? Like whatever you've joined, whatever gang it is, there's a belief system that is woven through the tapestry of how that exists and why it exists, right? Yes, yes. And it's the shaping of those beliefs um, that is the key for a lot of gangs, and again, with the comparison to cults. Right, right. So, you know, prison, because I know in your background, that's a big deal that, you deal with prison members or you're coaching San Quentin or you're cho- you know, coaching police officers. Do prison gangs influence street gangs? They definitely do. With their sophistication developing um, for the majority of the prison gangs in the early 50s all the way through to, let's say, the early 70s, as their sophistication and networking grew within the prisons, The idea, again, was for protection of different races within the prisons. But they started to realize that they could also affect the streets. And so they started sending, as people were exiting prisons, taking care of um, this industry out in the streets, whether it be uh, drug sales, uh, strong-arming, and now the the biggest thing that we're struggling with is uh, human trafficking. And so the prison gangs definitely have their finger in that pie within the community of the streets. And they're also training young people in how to grow and how to become as sophisticated as a prison gang member. So that includes uh, business techniques, uh, hand-to-hand combat, weaponry making, 
um, and also education, understanding strategy and tactics uh, of warfare. And warfare can be transposed to some of their business actions, too. So there's definitely a strong influence coming out of the prisons and into the streets. And when you say that, are you saying that it's happening through the design that these people create while they're in prison and the different connections that people know people know people and it, you know, it gets passed along sort of through the grapevine? Or are you saying that when they get out of prison, they take what they know and from the gang they were in and then recreate it on the street with all the extra, you know, skills that they've attained in prison like you know is it while they're in prison or is it recreated after they're out of prison uh my answer my simple answer to that question is yes <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm not sure it was a yes or no question but okay is, is, well, it, is it while what, they're in prison or after okay. well what i got <laughs> what i gathered from that is when you, it used to be back let's say in the mid-70s when somebody got out of prison from a certain neighborhood a lot of the younger kids who were running around in loose gangs would look up to somebody who had been in prison because they'd gone to the big league, so to speak, and they had learned skills. And that person might share some of that information or glorify or romanticize their experience in prison to the younger kids. But then, as it, again, became more and more sophisticated, what happens is you start to see a network of people. And let's say that one young man or one gentleman is going to get out of prison in a month. So he's given an assignment to work in a certain area and, again, begin training for the younger kids. So it's become a lot more structured and organized now. Wow. So, so, you know, you work with law enforcement intelligent units. Mm -hmm. You train police officers in psychological and sociological aspects of gang culture. What you know, that just sounds so intriguing. It sounds so complex. You know, are you profiling these individuals? Are you giving them strategies to dismantle the behaviors that you're seeing? How, how do you help somebody psychologically, you know, some police officer? or you know, how, how do you help? That's, that's will be my question. How do you help a police officer in the psychological and sociological aspects of a gang culture? Well, the... There are many factors that go into it, many aspects of the training. Um, whether it be a, a recent situation we've had here in the town that I, I'm located in, uh, where there was an officer shooting of a 13-year-old boy. And what goes through the mind of the officer at that time? How do we work things, uh, patch things up between law enforcement and the community itself? And what are the psychological impressions that come out of that? towards law enforcement, and how does law enforcement deal with that um, as a backlash? So we train on that. We train on a number of things such as understanding the whole person. Not every gang member is walking around with this devious, shifty-eyed look, rubbing their hands together. Um, Some of them don't really want to participate in criminal activity or violence in particular. What they're looking for is the protection so that they're not victims themselves, and really explaining that to law enforcement. How do they, in the moment, because law enforcement has a particularly tough job working in crisis moments, that's when they're called in. They're not called in to 
enjoy a barbecue at somebody's house or more often than not. Um, so in a crisis moment, they have to assess very quickly who is a danger and who is deeply involved with gangs and who is not. Um, and what force to take. Is it at a taser level or is a firearm arm drawn? So really talking to them about that and how they can assess things very quickly. And then there's the cultural part, the sociological aspect, letting them know um, how to bridge a partnership between communities and law enforcement. Wow. <laughs> That's a no, lot. And it, it's, I mean, it's so valuable. And it, again, sounds so complex. We are going to have to go to break. We're going to take a break. And so, uh, first of all, for you listeners, stay tuned. Don't leave. We have some really valuable information coming up. And you know, you've opened some doors to some more questions that I have for you, Bob, but we have, again, some extremely valuable info coming up. So we are on Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. I'm your host, Lindsay Levinson. Our special guest is Bob Flores. We are talking about gangs and community, and this is really important stuff. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite, live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Adoption changes a family forever, for the adopters as well as the adoptees. There are many adjustments that need to be made, from lifestyle to financial, and the personal rewards are unlimited. Listen every week for Your Adoption Coach with Kelly Ellison. We will examine in detail such topics as international and domestic adoption. We will talk with adoption professionals and hear stories about real families adopting. If you've been thinking about adoption or recently began the process, you'll want to tune in to be inspired every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. 
Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are tuned in to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. To connect with Lindsay or her guest, please call in to the show at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to lindsay244 at sbcglobal.net. That's L-I-N-Z-I-244 at sbcglobal.net. Now, back to Illuminating Now. Hi, this is Lindsay Levinson, and we are back. Thank you for coming back to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. And our special guest today, Bob Flores. So Bob is deeply entrenched in working with gangs. He's a youth advocate, program developer, counselor with an MA, and he is certainly providing direction and leadership for so many programs and working with the police and law enforcement and the California State Department of Justice, police officers. I mean, he's just in the mix and in the trenches, really, with this training that is just so very valuable for us to understand the dynamic of gangs and culture and community and the connection that all of this has to our lives and the potential of our youth and even adults that are in gangs. So, you know, it just, I have so much respect. It's such inspiring work that Bob is doing. This is a two-part series. This is part one. Bob will be with us again next week. So I do want you to make sure and mark that on your calendars and save that date as well. But when we went to break, Bob was explaining a little bit of what it is to work with the psychological and sociological aspects of gang culture and how he works with police officers and, you know, what kind of things come up. I wanted to ask you, Bob, I know as I talked about your bio and I named so very many things that you are involved in and that you do, which is just kind of blows me away, you're doing so very many things. But here's one that I wanted to ask you about, which was this, you're certified in, pol- in peace officers standard in training. And that's yeah. a certification. Can you tell me about that? Sure. So what it is, is it's continuing educa- education units that law enforcement uh, must have a number of throughout the year. And so it's similar to a therapist who might have continuing education units necessary to maintain their license, uh, police officers at different levels, whether they be beat cops or administrators, have to take a number of classes to maintain their standing within the law enforcement community or their particular department. So you're held accountable for understanding and staying on top of education and knowledge that connects to everything that you're doing. Yes, and I think that... um, a lot of people don't realize that with law enforcement, 
um, it's really easy to assume and project things onto them in the sense that they are, I don't know, stormtroopers or they're ex-jocks with a chip on their shoulder. But there is a lot of education that goes into being a law enforcement officer, and this is part of it. Yeah. So talk to me about training inmates. And, and, and you've already talked a little to different pieces of this, but again, I want to dig a little deeper because it's so interesting and certainly our listeners you know, get, don't often get a chance to get this kind of information. So you train inmates in San Quentin on methods of working with delinquent and gang-affiliated adolescents. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Training inmates in San Quentin, I mean, that's, that's huge. Like, what, what does that really mean? Right. Well, you know, I, I smile as you ask the question because I, I really got a, a deep love for the guys who are inside and the changes that they've made. I work with approximately 20 uh, gentlemen around how to work with youth. And there are 80, I would say about 80 requests to participate in the group every year. And very few are taken in. They have to prove that they are willing to change, that they're no longer involved with the prison gangs, uh, not have very many, not have any disciplinary referrals for a period of time, and then participate in the education of not only the classes I provide, but educational programs in the prison. So they have to show that they're making a difference. The other thing is that every one of them is in prison for life, for murder. Uh, well, not, not everyone is in for murder, but they're in there for life. And so these are men who could very well just sit and do their time, but they've chosen to affect as many people as they can outside of the prison so that those young people don't go into the prison themselves. So I get very excited talking about them. What we do is we discuss adolescent anger management. Now, I developed an anger management program for adolescents that I would take into the local juvenile halls. That is very uh, egocentric. Teenagers are very much about themselves. How does that affect me? How does that help me? So for these guys to talk about anger management to these hardened uh, gang member youth, they have to understand developmentally where the kids are egocentrically. So we spend a lot of time on that. We spend time on the understanding of brain development and where youth are, on trauma and how trauma can be expressed. Uh, And again, all of these components that they're trained on are through the eyes of the teenager, not necessarily to benefit the inmates. They already have programs for themselves in there. But one problem that we have to avoid is the inmate getting triggered by the youth. So we really have to get them trained to look through the youth's eyes and to kind of put their stuff on the back burner and benefit the youth. A lot goes into this, and a lot of great people are um, working to support that. One of my biggest partners is a retired uh, lieutenant out of San Quentin for 30 years, Bernal Crittenden. Um, and just getting to know these guys, they're really working hard, knowing that it's not going to affect their parole or that they get out or anything like that. Yeah, because going back to the whole reason anybody's in a gang, or maybe even anyone's in prison, I mean, somehow, again, empowerment so so often plays out the wrong way, which would be why someone might be in prison, but empowerment, identity, 
um, you know, making a choice, trying to define yourself. So in prison, you know, giving them a purpose, working with people who want to have a purpose to sort of redefine and rewrite their story so that they can have an identity and it kind of gives you a reason to wake up in the morning, right? I mean, that's a lot of these people want to do this, not because they're going to get out early, but because they can start to feel their own purpose of who, of why they're on the planet and who they are and what identity they have because of what they're doing. Is that true? Definitely. Uh, There's one gentleman that I work with who's been in prison since 1978 and with no hope of parole. And he is a leader amongst these men as far as keeping them um, motivated, keeping them organized and interested during the time that people like myself are not around. And he's been doing a fantastic job, again, with no chance of parole. It's a purpose for him. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's what that really feels like to me when you talk about it. And and I was confused, and so I want to put clarity to this and understand if I'm correct in delineating this, which is, is this that the inmates then are going to work with the kids outside the prison to help them understand why choosing a gang wouldn't be the right option? Or are they working within the prison as well because gangs are a huge dynamic within the prison structure as, as well? They, they work within the prison, and we take a group of youth from 9 a.m. till 1.30 in the afternoon, and we go through a process of communicating talking with the youth, we do a tour, um, and, and I want to make the difference. It, it's not a, like the TV series Beyond Scared Straight where there's a lot of screaming and breaking down the <laughs> self-esteem. And that, that is not a part of it at all. It's, it's relationship-based between the inmates and the youth, and yeah. the inmates are coming from the place where they're telling the youth not to make the mistakes I've made. I, I messed up. I missed out on a lot. You don't have to do that. Um, but wow. it's all within the walls of San Quentin itself, which is I quite see. an eye-opener for the youth. <laughs> right, right. Wow, that is so powerful. And so you talked about have, you know, studying the brain. So, so do they get psychological training? Did these people working with the youth, because like you said, they have to, it has to, you know, they have to understand anger management and egocentric thinking and not be triggered. And so knowing what's, you know, what's coming from the people they're talking to, what would trigger their brain or what might bring up, again, the, the actual inmates' own personal stuff. So do they get, like, classes on psychological, you know, theories in certain ways or what kind of training so that they don't get triggered into their own stuff? They do on a, applied um, theories and method. Uh, a great example is Carl Rogers' client-centered therapy. Right. And some of some of the components of active listening. Um, and there's another pro- motivational interviewing, uh, really teaching them how to speak to the young men and how to articulate their feeling. Uh, there's some psychological components around identifying feeling states within themselves. Uh, a lot of these men get themselves in trouble because they cannot articulate how they feel in their body or how the, what anger or jealousy is. They just act it out. So they are trained to do it themselves, 
and in the process taught to teach these young people how to identify their feeling states so that they have more tools and resources to draw upon rather than acting out and getting in trouble. And, and that's just a, a, a brief look at some of the theories and, and methods utilized. Those are fabulous, though. I mean, those are not only great to be working with the people they're working with, but those are great for yourself. I yeah. Mean, yeah, they're just, those are self-esteem builders anyway, those types of theories and those types of learning, motivational inter- interviewing. I mean, can be used anywhere in your life in a conversation. So yeah. it's, you know, it's really valuable that they get that kind of learning as a part of the foundation of this program that will change their ability to communicate in every situation, which is, which is really fabulous. Yeah, and I, how, how long have you been doing this? How long have you been working with this program with the inmates in San Quentin? Um, since 2008. Wow. Yeah, since 2008. And what happened was uh, this gentleman I had met and mentioned before, Vernell Crittenden, um, him and I, crossed paths and started talking about his dreams as a retired correctional officer in San Quentin and how he'd like to continue helping some of the guys inside and what he was doing versus what I was doing and how could we partner together. And that there was an existing group already, but they were a little disorganized and we were just able to synthesize all of that with the warden's approval. Wow. What a contribution. What what an absolute powerful contribution that's awesome i just you know my hat's off to you on that one for sure um i want to go back to okay so we talked about prison gangs influencing street gangs so you know in the end whether there's an influence or not i mean is there an actual difference you know a street if you define a street gang member a prison gang member is there a way that you define them differently or delineate between yes. them? A, a street gang member is somebody who hasn't been to prison, and so they may have been in jail, but not prison. And the idea with the prison gang members, they get to go through a process of what's called validation by the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Once they get validated as a gang member, then that is the major leagues for them in baseball, (laughs) to make a baseball comparison. Uh, They are officially a gang member. So when they come out, there's a little bit of a a sense of contempt for those who are acting out and still doing things that are just as violent, um, but have not been to prison. So the idea of a gang member for prison gang members is you had to have been to prison. Now, that's been a struggle for a lot of, younger street gang members who feel they're doing a lot of work but haven't been caught um, or just feel that they're more invested than some of these prison gang members. Another aspect uh, that's a difference between the two is the politics. There's street politics, which is a lot of what we read about, the red versus blue or the, I don't know, the tall versus the short or all these opposites, polarities fighting against each other. Um, That is a whole different set of politics than prison politics. Prison politics, you will see opposing gang members saying good morning to each other or sharing coffee uh, in the tier together. 
things that would blow a street member, gang member away. And the prison politics state that they want to keep the peace, but if anything were to happen, everybody knows where they stand, if that makes sense. So, so there's a different dynamic between the two, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it's a very tough transition for some of the younger kids. And again, the younger kids are not asked to take the weaponry classes or the um, strategic and tactical classes or read books or learn uh, a number of things that are expected of prison gang members. It's very much a, a um, college for them with different classes. <laughs> wow. Wow. It almost sounds like I get the feeling when you talk about it, like what comes up in my mind is like I'm, I'm visualizing these street gang members. It's almost like, you know, fraternity initiation and hazing. Like, you got to do a lot of bad stuff. You got to move into the criminal area. You got to kind of make a ruckus and, you know, and be known for what you're willing to do and step up to it and not be scared and, you know, like that kind of stuff. And in prison, there's like, it's like a code of ethics. It, it's been designed. It's understood. It's not, it's not chaos for the, for the sake of chaos. It's, Chaos could ensue, but it's if it, the code of ethics is betrayed, everyone knows what might happen, and it could lead to chaos, but it's all based on a code of ethics that people have already predefined. Does is that sort of make sense? Yes, yes, and, and please, to make sure that people don't romanticize it, it also has all of the internal politics that occur with, within any job or um, station in life anywhere. There are people jostling for position. There are people um, involved in treachery and, and backstabbing and that sort of stuff. And that's at a different level, well, violent level, um, more so than what we see out here in the community. So that stuff is in place as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it felt like kind of a dual dynamic. Like when you talked about, okay, because even if a prison member or a gang member that, you know, came from prison, like, okay, so they're official, you know, but then there's this animosity at some level, and, I, and I'm still not sure if you're saying it goes both ways, like it, that the kind of kids on the street are, you know, are, are they resenting or is it sort of prestigious that, you know, prison gang member's official and that the prison gang member is feeling like, why are you even calling yourself a gang member? You're just a street kid making trouble. You know, is it that way, or is it both ways? Like each person has animosity for the other. It's it's both ways. Um, I, I've heard street gang members say, "Well, you don't have to go to prison to be a real gang member." Um, so that's expressed there. But in the same way, I've worked with many kids over the years who um, look forward to going to prison and putting themselves through the paces to learn that education. And so they look up to the guys that come out uh, of prison who've been validated and who are prison gang members. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, so it's a really tough dynamic <laughs> to balance. It is. And pull I mean, apart. Yeah, I mean, complex doesn't even really... <laughs> we got to find a better word. It's like, right, yes. it's like yes. super, super de-duper complex. I mean, it's like <laughs> way... Right, and... and to throw one other aspect in there, there's also uh, people who've dropped out of prison gangs while in prison 
and then when they get released, there's a whole different uh, unspoken respect, but then there's a disrespect because they've dropped out of the structure of the gang itself. Um, it, uh, it adds a whole other dimension of complexity. Right. And I think, I just think what's so interesting for anyone listening or for anyone considering a gang or anyone that's dealing with someone they know or a child that's in a gang, you know, it's just, it's so interesting that the perception, you know, is this, is this power that, you know, uniting together, this belief system, people have each other's backs, they're willing to do criminal activity, it's scary, um, a gang member could hurt you, even if you're just an innocent bystander, don't walk on that side of the street, this might happen to you. There's a very powerful, scary kind of dynamic, and and that the irony is that I think all of this is organically born out of total vulnerability, and I don't know if you'd agree with me on that, but it, it's complete vulnerability that yes. causes anyone to go toward or into a gang. Would you agree with that? I would, and, and fear of vulnerability, um, it, it's, it's paramount. Right, right. So just so interesting because that they are the antithesis, really, vulnerable and pure strength, and yet we perceive that pure strength and is the total vulnerable folks, or again, yeah, fear of being vulnerable that create their need to you know, hook on symbiotically to something that will keep them safe or save them. Um, talk to me about how gangs recruit. Is there a certain, there's got to be a process. I, um, can you share some of what that looks like? Sure. The, the biggest part of it is to present as a family. Uh, we are a part of something. We are together. We are united. But then what happens is, and people get drawn into that, and they start to show their loyalty through their, the way they dress, the way they act that sort of stuff. And then the scariest part is what you just touched upon, too, is then it becomes a business once they've gone too far. Once they've committed a crime and the gang has something on them, it becomes all business, and the individuality is lost at that point. So it massages that individuality and acceptance to begin with, the techniques do, and then they immediately turn once they get so far in. Wow. So, I mean... You know, you've talked again about gang structure. So there is a structure, organization. I mean, is that something that you can define or there just is, but it just depends on which gang and where someone lands as to what the structure and the organization is? Uh, the structures are, vary. They vary from the sophistication of the individual gang. They vary as far as regions. Um, they vary gender as far as genders go. Because uh, there are girl gangs, and then they vary even within the prisons between the five major prison gangs. Uh, but there is a structure and a hierarchy that they follow. Wow, it's also interesting. Okay, the, we're getting close to the end. I'm going to ask you probably maybe one last question and uh, give you maybe just a minute here. But what pulls kids toward that gang lifestyle? I mean, we've talked about vulnerability stuff, but. What you know? What's that one thing that they just go? They decide, yes, gang, I'm doing it. Well, one thing we look at is money, power, um, mainly that sense of power. 
if you're not feeling powerful in one area, then you obtain it through force with the unity of the gang itself. And we look at two factors, push factors, which are some things in the home, too, that we have to observe that push kids towards gangs, and then pull factors, which are factors that um, bring the kids to the gangs, which I just talked about, mainly the power, but money, drugs, that sort of partying lifestyle. Right. Uh, and the push factors are the lack of attention and maybe even abuse. And it all comes down to the idea that to use gangs as a resource is that hurt people hurt people. Wow. Right. We have to end, but wow, what a place to end on. I'm, I mean, that that is so profound. That is so deep. I, I need to thank you for being on the show, and I'm so glad you're coming back. Um, I do have to almost rush through the ending, but thank you so much for being on the show, and I'm thrilled you're coming back next week. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. The job you do is inspiring, and I want to do just a quick recap and kind of quickly get you know through what is this ending. So I just want to say that we did go through today gangs, the definition, the relevance, why they exist, who or what purpose did they serve. Bob was really able to offer clarity to a lot of these details behind so much of the magnetism of gangs and how the evolution unfolds. This is important information. So many of us have no idea about these details. Someone like Bob offers tremendous insight, and it's necessary for us to pay attention and understand. Lindsay's life secret, here it is. Gangs are a part of our culture. There is meaning for the people who are part of a gang. But we, as adults, leaders, models, we have responsibility to understand what that meaning is. We need to dissect the dynamic of belonging, the purpose of existing within a gang. We need to create safety and boundaries and limits that are needed to allow what might be a future potential gang member to make a different choice. So we can't look the other way. We must understand so that we can create any change that could be effective and healthy as options. I want you guys to tune in next week when Bob returns. We're going to address what we can do in community, in schools, in homes, even, you know, read the signs that our children are gravitating toward gangs. We're going to discuss the future and the prognosis, and Bob is key to giving us some of this information. I know you're busy people. I know you can make any choice. I know listening to any show is critical, but you make the choice for illuminating now Lindsay's Life Secrets. You're curious. You want wisdom. I have so much respect for all of you for choosing this show, and I offer tremendous gratitude. I am your host, Lindsay Levinson. Our special guest has been Bob Flores. This is part one of a part two series on gangs and community responsibility regarding gangs. I would like you all to tune in next week for part two of this series where we are lucky enough to get Bob Flores to come back and help us look at solutions and things to look at for the future. In the meantime, I thank you so very much for listening, and I ask that you have a precious and powerful week. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Please join Lindsay Levinson again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.